So we um, tend to overcomplicate things as the church, not just this church, but the church. We tend to overcomplicate everything. I know that all too well as a pastor. Things can get very complicated very quickly in church ministry. Now, Jesus gave us some pretty simple um, means of grace, sometimes they're called. And they're all very simple and very easy to do and maintain. Just the reading of the word is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. And he gave us two church-wide activities as a means of grace. One of them is communion, when we regularly partake of bread and drink. And it represents Jesus' body and blood broken and shed for us. And baptism. And what these things do is they remind us over and over and over again of the gospel. They remind us over and over and over again of what this is all about. Because we are very easily distracted from it. And we very easily forget it. So what I'd like to do in the next few moments is through two different passages. Actually three. There's a bonus one in there. Just simply lay out for you what baptism is about, what the gospel is again. And my hope is, and what I believe baptism does for the church in part, this is not all it does, but it, it strengthens the faith of believers. See, there's really only three types of people in here today. There are believers, those who truly believe and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior and follow him as the Lord. They, they aren't perfect, but they know he's perfect and that he's the only hope and that he's worthy of all their uh, affections and their life. And so they, in life, are endeavoring to follow him. They have a, an open Bible sort of life. And they are changing over time to look more like Jesus. And they are, over time, learning more and more how to live in the grace of Jesus Christ and with freedom from sin and slavery to sin and um, guilt over sin and uh, slavery to moral efforts to overcome sin. So there's that, there's, that type of person is in here, believers. There's another type in here and what is known as nominal believers. Nominal means by name only. Uh, many people are Christians by name only. They like to be associated with the idea of Christianity, but have no real relationship with Jesus Christ. If they're honest with themselves, they do not live an open Bible life. Uh, they are comfortable going through their days without input from the Father. Uh, they are comfortable uh, trying to outweigh their sinful actions with morally good actions and to self-justify themselves by saying, I'm not as bad as that guy. They're comfortable with ongoing sin in their life. They don't have the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. So they're able to come to church on Sunday and sing the songs and smile the smiles and shake the hands and then go home and, and live a life of whatever they would like to without any input from Jesus. Although they say he's the Lord, they do not submit to him. Okay, so those are two of the types of people who are in here and in any every church this morning. Believers, nominal believers, and then there's a third type, which I'll call non-believers, which are just people who they don't really believe it or they're not sure they believe it. They maybe are intrigued by it. Um, maybe they're seeking out answers for it, but they would not consider themselves believers at this point. Uh, they, you know, they might have respect for the church and the people of the church. 
Um, but they themselves are not fully convinced. They themselves have not given their lives over to Jesus. Now, I think baptism speaks to all three of us in the church this morning. I think for those who are believers, baptism is very strengthening to our faith. Okay, it's very strengthening to see how the Lord brought Luna from atheism to Christianity and how he worked through the church. And uh, it's very encouraging. I believe baptism can be very helpful for nominal believers because what it can do for them is confront them. Baptism can confront we who are nominal believers with our own hypocrisy. It can confront the fact that we say we're one thing and we in our hearts are another thing. And I think it can be very helpful for non-believers too because it can serve as an, as an invitation that you too can be a part of this. You too can come and receive Jesus. You too can be freed from yourself and your sin and um, be totally cleansed and reconciled with God. You too can be a part of Jesus's body, the church. You too can have the good shepherd as your Lord. You don't have to shepherd yourself and figure everything out on your own. So I'm hoping that as we look at uh, first Colossians chapter one, the Lord will do these three things for us. He'll strengthen us. He'll confront us. He'll invite us. I want to begin with a simple point, and this is just the gospel, the good news. Without Jesus, we are all separated from God by sin. Okay, that's the starting place to understand baptism and to understand Jesus, to understand the gospel, to understand Christianity. Without Jesus, we are all separated from God by our sin. First Colossians 1 21, which was read earlier in the service, says, And you, referring to a church, a group of believers, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now, well, wait, let's stop with that. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's reminding them of what their condition was before Christ. And it reminds us of what our condition is apart from Christ. We're alienated. That means cut off from closeness and communication with God. We're estranged from God, alienated from God. Um, in Facebook age, he, he's unfriended us. We can't see his timeline. We can't communicate with him in that way. And he doesn't see, he's just, there's a separation there. There's an alienation there. Uh, it's sort of like any of you have close friendships or marriage in which something happens. One person wrongs the other party. And until that's resolved, there's an alienation there and there's a, a cold, frosty silence between the two individuals. Have any of you ever experienced that? Have any of you spouses ever experienced that with your spouse? I want you to stand up and, and tell whose fault it was and exactly what happened. And we've all experienced that. And there's a, over time, there's a growing um, discomfort with this alienation from someone who we need to be close with, who we should be close with. So humanity, that, that's sort of the human condition. We're all born into an alienated relationship with God himself, who is the most important being to be close with. And apart from Christ, we're alienated from him. We're cut off from him. We're unfriended. We're in relational coldness. It also says we're hostile in mind. That means that our thinking is more like an enemy than a citizen of God's kingdom. We're more like an enemy, a, a rebel from God's kingdom. It also says evil in deeds. That just means we do bad stuff. 
and we don't do good stuff. Now, I know it's easy to compare ourselves to the person down the pew or down the street or in the next cubicle over and say, well, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as that girl or that guy. It's hard for us to understand just how evil our deeds are because we're always comparing them to each other who are equally evil. See, what the Bible does is it says, no, don't compare yourself to one another. Compare yourself to God because that's the standard. God's holiness is the standard. It doesn't seem like we're that bad when we just look at the news and we see the atrocities going on. At least we're not as bad as those folks. But we are. One way to uncover that and to remember that is to remember what the biggest two commandments are that God has asked of us. Okay, some of you who have been at church here for a while, what is the biggest command God, God asks of people? Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the main expectation for humanity. Now, how are we doing on that front? Awfully. We fall so far short of just that, the first command. And then the second command is similar to it. What's the second biggest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so if we want to be good people, Jesus really simplifies it. And he gives us, well, okay, this is all really you have to do. Just these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Be completely devoted to God. Don't worship anything above him. Don't seek comfort in anything above how much you seek comfort in him. Don't worship and, and uh, praise with your words anything more than you praise the Lord your God. Okay, so once you've nailed that, then the second one's similar. Love your neighbor with perfect selflessness. Always be putting your neighbor's needs above your own. And neighbor, by the way, it doesn't just mean your physical neighbor on your street. It basically means all other people. In fact, Jesus especially highlights enemies, those who mistreat you. Everybody's your neighbor, but in, in some teaching, it almost seems like especially your enemies. So love them above yourself. I mean, it's easy to see when we compare ourselves with God's standards, how far short we have fallen. That's because apart from Jesus Christ, we are separated from God. We're alienated from him, we're hostile in mind, and we're just in a cycle of evil deeds. It's a big mess. Now, the good news is, and this is my second point, Jesus reconciles those who believe in him. This is essentially the gospel, the good news. Christianity, remember, isn't good advice on how to get better. It's good news that, that Jesus has done it for you. Colossians 1 We'll read, um, what's up there? Yeah, we'll read 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Apart from Christ, we are all separated from God. Jesus reconciles those who believe in him. He reconciles them with God, brings them back together. Now, I used to be in sales and marketing 
And that was sort of my background before becoming a pastor. And some of the lingo that you hear as you go about those businesses, those trades, are value propositions. What's the value of, of this? What's the, what's the benefit? Why would someone uh, give money for this mattress? I sold mattresses. There's the dark truth of my background. And so in, in the mattress world, you know, you're, you think of all the features and all the benefits and you, and, uh, they had this, this trick. I'll teach you a little salesy trick. So you'll know what's happening to you next time you try to go buy a mattress. Uh, they called it VPV, uh, value price value. You never just tell someone how much it costs. That sounds bad. You, you sandwich it with value. So you'd say, well, this, I can't even remember now. I can't remember any of this, you know, mattress with, this high spring count costs $2,000. And with it, you'll also receive this warranty for a year. See how I, I sandwiched it in value? Now you want to buy a mattress, don't you? Well, what is, what is the value proposition of Christianity? I mean, if you have a loved one in your family or at work that you really want to see become a Christian, what's the selling point? What's in it for them to become a Christian? So I think often we get confused and we think that the value proposition of Christianity is its superior moral code. Jesus says, don't do that, do this. You should become a Christian and stop doing that and start doing this. But it's not the moral code. It's the reconciliation with God. That's the value proposition. Sometimes we get confused and we think the value proposition is that you'll get forgiveness of your sins. Now that's really close to it and that is important. But what good is forgiveness of your sins? It's not only good because you don't feel so guilty or ashamed or defiled. It's good for those things, but even more importantly, it's good because in cleaning out that sin, it reconnects you with God. And that's what you were designed for. There's a gaping hole in our souls until we get reconnected with God. So it's the reconciliation that we're after. Jesus on the cross, he resolves the conflict. He restores the relationship. You, through Jesus, you're refriended. Through Jesus, the silent, cold is gone and warm embrace is there fully accepted by God, fully embraced by God. With all your flaws and failures, seen as righteous in Jesus Christ and fully embraced by God. Now you can pray. Now you can read his word. Now you can spend time with him in the word. Now you can fellowship as brothers and sisters in the church in open communion with him. Now you can live every day of your life, as Luna said, not alone, shepherded by the good shepherd, Fathered by the Father. That's what's so amazing about the gospel. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, as all these Christians that the Lord brought around Luna, 
And it was, it was just like a constellation of Christians that the Lord brought into her life from every angle, colleagues and neighbors and friends. As they were loving her, they were going about the ministry of reconciliation. They weren't just trying to win a convert and have a notch on a belt. They were wanting Luna to be reconciled with God. And praise God, that's what happened. And that's what, that's what all of our ministry is about. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Not wagging our fingers at sinful people, but doing whatever we can and praying for and doing whatever we can do to reconcile people to God. Where did I leave off? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Believers, be refreshed and strengthened by the fact that this is, this is it. In Christ, you have it all. You're reconciled to God. Let the other weights in your life fall, fall off because your biggest problem is solved. Renew your trust in Jesus Christ. Renew your faith in him. Nominal believers, recognize and admit to yourselves that you don't know what I'm talking about and you've never tasted reconciliation with God. What you know is a, a hollow religious routine and the shallow warm niceties of church stuff. But what you don't know is the height and depth of God himself. You don't know what worship feels like. You don't know what it's like to have communion with God in prayer and through the word, to hear him speaking to you, to see his molding effect on your heart and your life over time. And those who do not believe, I just want to be clear, this is what I'm inviting you to. Reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Not a, a list of religious do's and don'ts and requirements and hoops to jump through. Ultimately, the invitation that we receive when we witness baptism and when we hear the gospel is to believe. I can't remember how I have it on there. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus. That's what Colossians 1.23 says. All, all of that that he said before that Jesus does to reconcile us, that we receive, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So ultimately it comes down to a step of belief. Now Santa Claus has ruined the concept of belief for us. It's just completely ruined it. When you hear, if only you'll believe. As American people, we, we automatically think Santa Claus belief or blowing out your birthday candles belief or seeing a shooting star and making a wish kind of belief. That kind of belief is, if you believe hard enough, it'll come true. That your belief can produce reality. If you just believe good enough, if you're a good enough believer, you can produce this reality. 
But that's not the kind of belief that the Bible talks about when it invites us to have faith in Jesus Christ. Not uh, a belief that produces reality, but a belief that is based on reality. It's not so much really, really trying to hope and believe enough to make it happen. It's recognizing what reality is and putting your weight in the right spot. So it's not like Santa Claus or birthday candles or a shooting star. It's more like walking across a, a porch. Picture a porch. Okay, and you see the, the boards going across the porch. Many of them are sagging. Some of them are cracked. Some of them are missing parts of it. Um, you know, some of them look rotten. Some of them, one of them, looks new and strong and steady. Now, if you have to make your way across, which one do you want to be putting your weight on? The one that looks steady. Richard Lowry can attest to this. He fell through his porch like a year ago or two years ago. He stepped on a a rotten one and fell and, and it caught right on his thigh and all his weight was on his thigh. Christian belief is putting your weight on the right plank. It's seeing Jesus and his claims that he is the one way truth, the life, the one way to the Father. And then looking at the other things that your weight is on, your attempts at self-righteousness or uh, moral endeavors to be better, and you feel how flimsy that is, how even though you try so hard, you fail, and or other religions, you put your weight on there and you feel how it gives, or just distractions of, of entertainment and work, and you feel how hollow that one is. When you hear the gospel, it's people standing on that solid plank saying, hey, come, no, come over here before that one gives way and you, you're Richard Lowry. Now, if somebody just pulls that one quote, it's going to sound really bad against Richard Lowry. The, the first steps for the new believer are repentance and baptism. That's what Dawn read in Acts chapter 2. You know, Peter had just preached the gospel to a bunch of people. Some of them, it says, were cut to the heart. Now, again, there's many different people in here, and some of you may be just thinking lunch, 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 what's for lunch? But others may be cut to the heart and realize that they're not standing on Christ. And they may look at their feet and realize what they are standing on is, is flimsy and it's giving way. Believers, some of you may be straddling Christ and something else. And today's an invitation to get back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Rest fully in him. Nominal believers, you're probably standing right beside that plank. And you're close enough to the people who are on the plank that you almost think you're on the plank. But you're standing on a Christless Christianity that doesn't require a death sacrifice for your sins. You're standing on a Christless Christianity in which you feel pretty good about yourself because of your moral behavior and your religious record. And to you, I cry out to you, be honest with yourself. Confess your, of your hypocrisy and step onto the plank with us. Non-believers, I invite you to the plank. I invite you to stand with Luna, with me, with those of us in here who trust and follow Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. This could be yours. This song we're about to sing, Jesus paid it all, you could sing wholeheartedly. Now with that, I'd like to pray for you and then I'll invite Meredith to come and lead us in our closing song.
Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ that we are not left in our sins to figure out a way up the mountain of holiness to you. Lord, I confess that apart from Jesus Christ, I know that I would be separate from you. My sin is too great. Your holiness is too holy. Lord, may I and Luna and everyone in here be found standing on Jesus Christ in faith for reconciliation with you. And may we not only be reconciled with you, but walk in that newness of life, living in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.